It's time to dig in and discuss the questions on the minds of today's leaders. You are listening to The Kathleen Reason Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. This is where we get vulnerable, raw, and authentic about the stuff that really matters. Now, here is your host, Kathleen Reason. Welcome to The Kathleen Reason Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. I'm Kathleen Reason, your host, and we're here on Inspired Choices Network. And now I know every single week I tell you about how we have the best show planned. And I really need it this week. Not lying in the other weeks, but this week I'm so excited because I have one of my friends, a mentor, a, a good friend of mine, Dick Davidson here. Hi, Dick. Hi, Kathleen. Good morning. Yes, I'm so glad that you can join us. And so, friends, what we're going to talk about today, Dick has been in, in business for well over 30, well, 40, is it 40 years? Well over 40 years, years in, and he's got so much knowledge. And so my job today is to pull it out of him, ask questions, and really get to hear these nuggets of wisdom that I'm so excited to learn and that we get to pass on to you. So it's like Dick and I are sitting at a coffee shop, but we've invited you to listen. So that is so cool. Dick, again, thank you so much for joining us. What I want to start out with today is just a brief synopsis. Will you just share what you're up to in this moment? Well. Um... Yes, actually, I'm in a transition right now, Kathleen, and uh, I'm transitioning uh, into retirement. Um, I've stepped out of my role as president of the company, and uh, my role now is to support an effective transition to the new leaders. And I envision that by, by not a handoff, but hopefully by building bridges and building those bridges between our major customers and our new leadership and our important suppliers and our new leadership. Um, and then our, all of our colleagues as well. So question for you, we're going to dig right into the beginning. And I know you and I have had a few conversations about this, but for everyone else too, that's a big transition to go from being the, the one that's, that's the leader of it to, to leading from a different space. And so how has that been for you? Um, well, it's been an adventure and I, you know, I have to say it hasn't been the easiest transition, um, in all respects. Um, but a lot of, you know, a lot of the places where you really learn the most and are really the most exciting and where you grow are not easy places to be, at least in my experience. And so, um, to, to have a completely different role. Um, and to lead really as a mentor, as an advisor, um, as a counselor, um, actually has, it's, uh, while it's been difficult, it's been really exciting and it's been um, a, a really positive thing, I will say. How is that for you, just that transition, one of the things that I imagine going from my voice, so if I were in that role, my voice is heard as a, as a CEO versus my voice is heard as an advisor and being unattached. So somebody may take what I have to say as valuable and they may not. How has that uh, been? A, is that a challenge for you? Well, I think that probably the most interesting thing to me has been sort of the flip side of what you're talking about. And that's, I've asked myself and, 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 come to the realization that a lot of the interactions I had and the relationships I had um, in my previous role were distorted or defined by my title. Um, and that's, 
you know, I always hoped that wouldn't be the case. It was, you know, it was never a big deal to me what my title was, but it is a defining thing and it does kind of put you in a box and uh, then people relate in a certain way because of your title. And um, I, I have to say it's, it's probably less honest um, than I hoped it was. So that's really been an interesting thing for me. Um, it's actually on the other side of that, it's been really freeing to be able to be myself and have people respond to me based on my ideas and my thoughts and uh, who I am rather than a title, if that all makes sense. What I hear you saying is that in the, in the past, in your role as CEO, people may have responded to you based on the CEO. The CEO said this, so I have to do this versus Dick had this thought and it's a thought and right. it's Dick's thought, not because Dick's the CEO. Yes, absolutely correct. Sure. And, yeah, and, and what I also heard was this, this space for you of figuring out who is Dick now that Dick's not the CEO. That's right. And um, my, my wife is a therapist and she's pointed out to me probably what I should have recognized a long time ago if I was uh, a little more self-aware, but um, that I've had an, what, what she calls an unhealthy relationship with my work, um, meaning I, I have been a workaholic. And what that means is literally I have been addicted to my work. And for a lot of us, work can be very addicting because it's exciting, uh, it's rewarding, it's challenging, and um, it, it offers a lot of things that um, aren't necessarily common in other aspects of our life, at least in that way. So it, it really can hook us in. Um, and I didn't, I was so deep into it, I didn't realize how hooked I was, how addicted I was to my work. So that's part of the process as well. Um, is to is to just sort through that and um, develop a, a more appropriate, healthy relationship with my work. So for a lot of us that are in that position now saying, hmm, maybe I do have an unhealthy relationship with work. What are some of the things that either you're doing or maybe that your wife's recommending that maybe you haven't chosen yet? But what are some of the things that we can look at now to say, how do I start to peel back that and develop that healthy relationship? I'm not sure I'm completely qualified uh, to answer that question. I can, I, I'll be able to answer that better when I'm on the other side of it. But I think um, for me, it's really been a lot of self-reflection and just asking myself and then contemplating, okay, what are the relationships I really want to have in the different places in my life and with the different people in my life? Um, and how balanced or unbalanced are those? Um, and, and the answer for me is I really look back is work took priority over a lot of things. Um, and I can't yet answer if I do that differently. If I had, had to do it all over again, I'm not sure I would make different choices at this point. Um, but it's become a lot, a lot more clear to me um, that I've paid a price in certain ways for the choices I made. Um, and, and I would say, Kathleen, at the time I was making those choices, I wasn't necessarily aware of 
how high the cost was. Um, and, and as I look back now, I can see more the, the, you know, the real cost of those choices that are made. And I'm not suggesting my life is disastrous or anything like that. That's not, that's not it at all. It's just that, it, as we all know in life, when you make those choices, you can't go back and redo. There are no redos, no do-overs. So uh, that's really what I'm referring to. Well, and thank you. And this, this whole episode, we titled it Wisdom and really understanding what are some of those nuggets. And, and so what I hear you saying is really being present to the prices now that you're paying for the choices that you're making and making your choices based on that. Do I want to pay these prices? Maybe, maybe not. Yes. Yes. And there's no right or wrong answer for any of us. I think the, you know, the point that you emphasize is make it a conscious choice. Don't just make it a default. Yeah, absolutely. And, and understanding that a lot of times we get caught up in our head of you talk a lot about the win-win, finding the win-win. And really when we're making these choices, what would a win-win look like? Can you talk about that in your perspective, what a win-win means? Sure. I'd, yeah, I'd love to, because I think, um, I, I think win-win and understanding what win-win is in general is one of the most important things that we can do. And um, when, I, when I read, when I first understood a little bit about win-win and I, I read uh, in Covey's book about it, I, it, I really didn't understand what it meant and how to practice it. And it took a long time to put that into practice. Um, it's become, win-win has almost um, become a truism. A lot of people throw that around. Um, it reminds me of, of, of years past um, when we used to have discussions with major customers and they would say, oh, we, we, you know, we don't want suppliers, we want partners. And, and we'd kind of groan and go, oh boy, look out, this is going to be bad. Uh, they think because they're calling us a partner that they can beat us up and abuse us and treat us like garbage. Um, and, and I'm afraid win-win in some cases has kind of turned into the same thing today too often where people throw it around, um, but they don't really know what it means and they don't know how to apply it. But I think in every aspect of life, if we, if we don't have relationships, whether they're personal or business, that are based on everybody getting what they need from that situation, everybody being a winner, uh, then those relationships are going to deteriorate over time and they're not going to be good. They're not going to be effective. Um, certainly in the, you know, in the business sense, um, we, we really got to the point where we followed the rule of win-win or no deal. And um, when you do that, that's when you really start to understand how people do, don't comprehend what win-win is really about. Um, and especially when you say to a potential customer, that's just not a, you know, we don't have a win-win here. We don't have a good deal. Um, so we, we can't move forward with you they're shocked often that no, nobody really says that. Um, but to, if you really believe in win-win, you can't go forward in a relationship regardless of the dollars involved or anything else, if it truly is not good for everybody involved, uh, because it's not going to work in the long run. Can you give me an example of a time where maybe it was a win-lose 
where it, it looks good on your end, but it really wasn't in the best interest of the, the client and you pull back. Sure. And that's the one that I think that's the one for a lot of people. It's the hardest to do. If you, if you have a concept where you're really focused on your own win and you don't care about the other party's win, um, it's really easy to enter into a win-lose. So we, we've, we've had a situation with a, a, a major manufacturer that we would love to, they're, they're a minor uh, customer of ours. We'd love to have them be a major customer, but um, we can't get the right things in place. And so they, they would, they'd like to have our products and services um, and they can see where they would benefit from those but the, the way in which they want to sell those um, is really going to undermine their long-term success, and it's going to undermine our success as well. And so that's where we, uh, one of the cases where we've simply said, we can't do that because we can see your concept is not going to work the way you need it to and want to. And then we're both going to be sitting down at some point in the future and talking about, hey, this isn't working. Why isn't this working? We're not happy. We need to change something uh, or we need to discontinue this. Um, and, and so that's, you know, I think there are a couple of fundamental things about win-win is each party has to clearly have in their head what a win is for them. They, they have to be able to articulate that. Um, and then both parties have to pay attention not only to their own win, but the other parties as well to make sure the deal comes together in the right way. And I will say in this case, this uh, potential customer, um, every time we talk and we can't come together, they're extremely frustrated because they have a lot of dollars to spend. Uh, they're a major player, they're a big name, and they're not used to suppliers saying no to them. Uh, they're, they're used to suppliers just caving in because they hope that something good is going to happen or they want the dollars, they want the sales, or they think they have to say, they think they have to cave in because it's a big player. Um, and so it's a, it's a really interesting situation uh, when you don't do that, but it, we know it's the absolute right thing to do um, if, if you want long-term success. Absolutely. Really creating that win-win. So we're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to dig in. You shared with me a story about how you created, uh, went away from a commodity market, and really created a value-based value -based company. And I want to talk more about that. But right before we do that, we're going to go on a quick break. You're listening to The Kathleen Reeson Show, Pushing the Boundaries of Leadership. And we have guest Dick Davidson on. So enjoy this quick break. We'll have more in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Are you a subject matter expert? Are you here to share your expertise with an audience waiting to hear from you in only the way you can deliver? Are you ready to have your voice amplified across the airwaves? Inspire Choices Network has a global radio platform 
streaming to millions of people across the world. Professionally produced and supported by an accomplished team every step of the way, you can broadcast from anywhere in the world knowing your voice matters and we ensure it is delivered with ease and efficiency. Eager to hear your message, the world awaits. Contact us today to become an Inspired Choices Network radio host. Email becomeahost at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. I'm your host, Kathleen Reeson, and we're here on Inspired Choices Network. And I have my friend and guest, Dick, here with me today. Hi, Dick. And Dick and I have been talking all about how to create the win-win. We're, we're talking about wisdom from the last 40 plus years of, of Dick's career. And we are putting it into our 55 minute show today. So that's a lot uh, to, to, to pack into one show, but we're really peeling back the layers. And so Dick, one of the stories that you shared with me was about when you started at Thomberg and about the tires and how it was a commodity. So can you share what I'm talking about here? Sure, I'd be happy to a little bit. So when I started in this business, um, my my first role was in sales, and um, the market was defined at that time for the product that we were selling as a price defined market, and people literally talked about all of these products are the same, which means literal commodity. I mean, we talk about oh, this is a commodity market, but um, in a lot of cases, it's not a literal commodity. In this case, it is. People actually thought all of the products that were available from the different manufacturers at the time were the same. So the only way they were able to differentiate and make a purchase decision was based on low price, um, which of course was a, was a terrible situation. And um, it's when, you know, when that exists, it was a race to the bottom in terms of pricing, uh, looking back and knowing what I know now and looking at the competitors that were in the market there that are no longer around, it was a situation where there was oversupply and because the, the, the price or the uh, price was the defining purchase decision criteria, um, there was there was not enough margin in it to sustain businesses, so a lot of people fell by the wayside, and literally, uh, competitors that we had at the time went bankrupt because there was not enough money. Well, we were looking at this situation and couldn't figure out how that was a long term sustainable business model, um, and so one of the one of the things that we we realized from customer feedback and testing that we did internally is that we had products that actually were better than the competition. Uh, and uh, in some cases, substantially better. Uh, and when I say better, uh, they lasted longer. Uh, they they provided a longer life for the user of our product. And therefore, there was a significant savings to the user because of that longer life. So um, we, 
we decided what we needed to do was really educate and inform customers so that they could understand that these products were not all the same. And um, so we went about um, really showing people test data um, and uh, talking about how our products were better. Well, I can tell you, as I, as I told you before, when we just talked about this, people I, literally, and I do mean literally, laughed in our face. I don't mean uh, figuratively. I mean, they laughed out loud in our face when we talked to them about this concept that we have a better product. We believe we can sell it at a better price and that's good for you. It's good for us. It's good for the ultimate user. It's good for your customer um, because these products uh, cost a little bit more, but last substantially longer. So there's significant savings. Um, and, and people thought we were, they literally thought we were crazy because it was such an unusual idea for a marketplace where everybody thought price was the defining factor. So what we had to do ultimately um, to get people to start to believe us um, is that we put together a, a test guarantee that if you would try our product and it did not last longer uh, than the competition or what you were currently using, we would give you your money back. Um, and that was the only way we could get people to even try our product because they thought it was such a crazy idea. They just didn't believe that we actually had something that worked better. So we, um, we, we had to really put it on the line in, in order to get people to at least look at the product. And then that was so successful because the product did do what we said. And when people tried it, they could see that it brought them value and over a whole lot of tests, over a lot of beating our heads against the wall, we literally changed the marketplace over a number of years where it's no longer a price market. Today, it's a performance-based and a value-based market. How did you hold that vision? You know, people were laughing at you. And I, I hear that. What did other people within the company think? I, th <laughs> I think there were, there were a lot of skeptics, um, both internally and externally. Um, and how, how did I hold that vision? I guess maybe because I wasn't smart enough to have a different vision. Um, I, I think it's, um, you know, people thought maybe it was tilting at windmills, but um, you have to really think very seriously about these things. This isn't a, you know, it wasn't an approach we took based on, let's throw this against the wall and see if it's a cute idea that will work. It was based on a huge amount of thinking. And I think uh, you also, as, as you're going through that process, as we were going through that process, we had to keep stopping and asking ourselves, does this make sense? Are we right about this? Can we make this work? Um, and I think what kept us going is we saw little gains here and there, and then we started to see some momentum, but it was a, it was a long, hard road. Um, but I think it, 
you know, it isn't, I mean, I think that's part of vision, Kathleen, to me, vision isn't just an idea that pops into your head one day that you say, oh, this is my vision. Um, it's something that is seriously thought about. And um, you have to look at everything that's involved in the, in, in the situation, in the market, in your capabilities, all of those factors to evaluate whether that vision is realistic and achievable or not. Um, and, and once you have done all of that thought process and, and then continue to check yourself to make sure you're not out in left field, um, that I, I think that's what allows you to hold on to that vision. And sometimes you modify it, of course, uh, based on the realities, which is good and appropriate. But I think that um, continuing to evaluate the feedback and being realistic is, is, is what allows you to continue to move forward. And so how do you, I'm sure you had checkpoints because you said years, like quantify that. Are we talking two years? Are we talking 10 years? When did you really start to see that shift from being a commodity to a value-based product? I think um, I, I think it took us five or six years, um, which as I look back, you know, when you're in the middle of that, that seems like a long time. As I look back now, that really wasn't that long of a time to, to shift an entire market concept. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm not taking any great credit for that. It just, it really happened because the product did what we said it was able to do. And then we, we packaged services along with that so that we were, uh, we were not only delivering a product that people were not aware of, but we were delivering a higher level of service um, and found opportunities there that were bringing value to customers that just that, that our competitors had not really thought about either. So those two things combined, um, and, and then we got some, some major players who really believed what we were saying, and they went out and executed on it, and they demonstrated that it was real, it was true. And at that point, we started to gain some, you know, some significant uh, attention in the market. So one of the questions that come up for me is, well, what happens if, so somebody that's listening to this and they say, I hear this, but I'm not confident that my that I could stand behind my product or my service as being the elite, as being the one that could prove it. And then I go back to what you were just saying about the win-win. Like if that's the case, then is that a win-win? And what do you do about that? Well, I think I think that's where you go back to the drawing board. And it's important to be brutally honest with yourself about okay, if, if our product really is the same or it's not substantially better, then do we have some services that are, are better? How are we going to bring more value to the market? How are we going to bring more value to our customers? And I have to say, honestly, if the answer is, geez, I don't really know. Um, I mean, if you're, of course, if you're in a, the, an ag market, or if you're in a, you know, a basic market like oil and gas or something like that, that is a true commodity, then, okay, that is a commodity. But I think we're talking about other product and service categories. Um, 
so then I think it's, you have to figure out, all right, can we improve our product? Can we improve our service? And then how do we articulate that once we do in a way that our customers can understand it and that they understand what it is that we're delivering to them and the benefits that they're going to receive from us. Um, short of that, I think, you know, to get in front of a client or a potential client, a potential customer, and not be able to answer the question of, this is why I am here, and this is what I can deliver to you in terms of value that every other person sitting in front of your desk can't, uh, I think that is a, that's a tough road to go down. Yeah. And, and just to, to give a little insight to the audience, the stuff that you and I are talking about here on the show is the stuff that you and I have been talking about outside of the show. And it, Dick, you've been supporting me and getting super clear. And it's a really, it's one of the hardest exercises that I've been in, in, in my 13 years of being a business owner, but my you know, 20 plus years in my career, it's one of the hardest exercises. And, and so I appreciate what you're saying and how we get to really, this is real stuff. It's, we don't make this up for the show. Do no, we, <laughs> no, no, we're not making this stuff up uh, for sure. And, and Kathleen, you're right. It is really hard work to figure out the answer to what am I bringing and why should you care? The you being the, the client or the customer. Um, but I can tell you from personal experience and, and you know, basically in my heart and soul, I'm a sales and marketing guy. Um, I love to be in front of customers. I love to be talking about what we can do for them. Um, and then I love to be in a position where we really help somebody get to a better place than they were before they knew us. But when you can figure that out and you have that vision clear in your head, you have that idea clarified, um, and then you can articulate it to a potential customer or client. It is, and I'm sorry to use this word, but it's transformational. It's groundbreaking because you're talking then in a way that people are not used to being communicated with. Um, I, can, I can't count the number of people uh, that have sat, sat across the table from me and they have pitched something. And my reaction was, I know, I kind of know what I, you want me to do. Um, I kind of get, you're hinting at it, you know, I'm, I'm getting the feeling, but you're not really nailing it. And I'm sorry, if you can't nail it, I can't say yes. Yeah, there's a uh, saying that I use of everybody that you meet has their credit card out and they're waiting for you to give them a reason <laughs> to put it away. That's why we can't articulate your message. It's just, that's the way, what I hear you saying is, I really want to ring, I really want to give you my credit card, but you're giving me all these reasons to put it away. Yeah. And really flipping that conversation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think that's why in, in a lot of industries, um, they push salespeople to make a certain number of calls a day or a certain number of, you know, you got a prospect for you know, talk to a certain number of new potential customers or clients every single week because they think it's just a numbers game. It reminds me of, of, of years ago, I knew a guy who was in the insurance industry and he told this funny story. He said, in the insurance industry, there's this concept that 
if you uh, pinned an insurance contract on the back of a dog and let it loose during the noon hour downtown in a major city, that when that dog came home at the end of the noon hour, there was a good chance somebody would have signed that contract that was pinned to its back. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, I think that is a tough way to go. If you think it's a numbers game, I believe, it seems to me that we're just throwing things against the wall and we are hoping that somebody is, is going to be receptive, but it's, it's such a much better process and it feels so much better when we go in with the confidence that we understand the value that we're delivering. We know we can make that happen for that customer or client and we can clearly state for them the benefits and advantages they're going to get because they chose to work with us or chose to buy our product. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm not going to forget that. That's, that is a wonderful analogy and something I think we get to test. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get to test that. So we're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we've got even more. You're listening to the Kathleen Reeson show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Enjoy this quick break. Are you enjoying the conversations on The Kathleen Reeson Show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. How wonderful would it be to carry your favorite Inspired Choices Network host with you throughout your day? Well, now you can. Inspired Choices Network now has its very own mobile app. Our free app offers live streaming shows, along with thousands of podcasts and TV episodes. Our shows cover a wide variety of topics. Whether you're waking up with us, carrying us through the day, and taking us to bed with you, we're always here for you to enjoy. We're easy to find. Just search for Inspired Choices Network in the Apple App Store or Google Play Store. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reason Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at inspiredchoicesnetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to the Kathleen Reason Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. You've been listening for the last 30 minutes to wisdom, that's what we're calling the show. And the, the nuggets that I've already gotten from the last 30 minutes are exponential. And so Dick, we're gonna dig in even deeper. One of the questions that I have for you, if you look back on your career, so this might be the, the toughest question of the day. If you look back on your career, what are some of your top, your, your top two takeaways over, over the entire course? If you could say to somebody, here's what I want you to know, what would it be? Okay. Um, okay. Well, um, yeah, you can imagine in a long career, there are a lot of takeaways, but, um, what's kind of funny is as I, as I think about that question, I, I, I think the takeaways are sort of simple, but not obvious. Um, and, and I guess that's true with a lot of aspects of life, right? That when you really understand, um, a lot of things, they aren't really complicated. The important things often are very simple and straightforward. So um, I, I think one of the most important things that 
that I would pass on that I, I certainly uh, pass on to my own kids and hope that they take uh, away is to be humble. Um, when you've got an outsized title, it's really easy to let that go to your head. And as I talked about, or as we, as you and I talked about at the beginning of this, um, when you have a big title, people respond to you in a certain way. Um, and there are advantages to that because it does, it, a title can often open doors with customers and clients. But if you start to think you are the title instead of the legitimate person that you are, I think that's a pitfall. So I, th I think being humble um, is, is just a foundational thing that um, is really important. And that sort of is the entryway to the other point, the next point that, that I think um, I would pass on, which is cultivate an environment and an atmosphere and relationships that encourage people to be brutally honest with you. Again, this is a place where, um, where title and position can get in the way uh, because you can, you can get into a situation where people don't want to tell you the bad news. Um, and, that, and you don't have to have a big title for that to be the case. I mean, you, anybody, if you're a supervisor, if you have anybody reporting to you, who wants to bring bad news to the person that they're working for? That's just not a, you know, that's not a popular thing. And it's really easy when someone brings you bad news to have a negative reaction to it. Well, what happens, of course, then is people don't want that negative reaction. And then it creates a barrier to people being honest and telling you the truth. And that turns into a really bad downward spiral where um, if we are not speaking the truth to each other, it's dysfunctional. It's very hard to be successful uh, either on a, an interpersonal level or a business level. Um, we've got to talk the truth and we've got to deal with whatever the realities are, whether those are happy realities or not. Um, if we have an environment where those are buried or pushed to the side, I think it's, it's really dangerous and, and unfortunate. Sure. And let's, let's even dig into that one where I hear speaking the truth. And one of the words that, that often when I speak about this, I'll say, speak your truth, meaning it's what I know to be true. And I'm going to bring it to whoever's in front of me, regardless of whether they agree with it or not. It's my truth. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So tell me, such a great lesson there. Tell me about how you've learned it. I'm sure there were some hard lessons there to learn it and some that went smoothly. What is it that made this so fundamental to you that it's one of your top two takeaways? Um, I think if we look around um, and, and I've had so many experiences uh, where, where I see um, what sort of, I, I refer to as the emperor's new clothes uh, situation where there was this, there's this fable where the, you know, the tailor creates this new set of clothes for the emperor and, and there, he says they're invisible. And, 
while the emperor is standing there naked in front of everybody, but he thinks he's, he's wearing these invisible clothes. Um, and I think that's a, just a pitfall. And I think we all see it. We see it in our society. We see it in business. We see it in politics where um, we, it's a situation where somebody is, is purporting something to be the truth and it's not, we all, in our reality, we can say, no, that's not, that's so obviously not what we think is happening or what we think the real facts are or what we think the truth is. Um, and that just leads to terrible dysfunction and then bad decisions and bad relationships. Um, and, you know, I've, everything I'm talking about is because I've made millions of millions of mistakes and I've done all of these things wrong so many times. Um, and I wish there were reduced because I'd go back and do a lot of them if there were. But I think that's, um, you know, through those experiences, I've just seen um, that my reaction to something that, that I didn't take as neutral or I didn't thank the person for being honest and bringing me the reality, their reality, um, then starts to build walls over time. I think that's really how I ended up learning that personally. Yeah, that that neutrality is exactly what you're talking about. Learning to be neutral, meaning when somebody comes to you angry, you can be the same as they were as you were when they walked in and not getting angry. But that's a lesson with my kids that I, I constantly, I thank them every day because they're probably my biggest uh, source of practice in that, uh, but absolutely with employees and with co with everyone, that's a growth area. Do you feel like that's a, something that you can master or that's something that you're always practicing? Well, I think all of these things are uh, that I'm talking about, I mean, I'm not going to claim mastery in any area. And I think that's one of the great things about life or about practicing a profession is we're seeking mastery and it's a journey and we never, you know, if you, I, I've always said, if you get to the end point and you think, Hey, I've got it, you know, I got a handle on this. I'm good. Wrong. Uh, because it's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be continuous, I believe, continuous learning and growth and development. Um, and that's what makes for me makes life exciting that we're not there. We're not on cruise. Uh, we're continuing to learn and work and do better. So I think um, it's a matter of trying our best to be self-aware so that we can gauge the reactions. We can reflect on interactions that we have um, and then learn from those and do better next time. Sure, make a decision that's that's in alignment with who we are. It goes back to the beginning of that the conversation. This entire conversation is really understanding who we are beyond our titles. Yes, that's yeah. that, and to be to be that person, uh, as you say, to come out as that person who we truly are um, is is so important and and so impactful and powerful, really, in my experience. And that's, it's, it's like, it's weaved through this entire conversation, because when I heard you talk about your vision, moving from a commodity-based product to, to being a value-based 
entity, as you move through that, it was understanding that like, this is who we are. And when you stand in that, you know, this is who we are. That's a powerful space. It doesn't really matter what anybody else thinks at that point. That's right. what we can spend hours talking about that alone. Like, what, how has that shifted for you about your opinion of what other people think? I, I, I'm not sure I exactly understand what you're, what you're leading to there, Kathleen. I apologize. Yeah, no, uh, no, no, no. That's um, one of the biggest challenges that I hear from a lot of just people in general is that the, the value of other people's opinion. So what somebody else thinks, the philosophy that I follow is what somebody else thinks is none of my business. And that's been a big growth for me to oh. be able to stand in that space. And so for you, the journey to, to that space, how has that been for you? Okay. Well, I, I'm going to, I, th I think what you are, maybe what you're referring to is what I call validation. And, um, you know, as long as I've been doing this, it's still important for me personally and professionally to have objective validation that says, yes, your vision is offering value. Um, and I, I, I experienced this um, last week with a, um, I was talking to a senior executive um, at one of our major customers um, that fired us 30 years ago, um, which was a, it was, and it was a tough, tough deal. Um, and we've been working for 30 years to regain the share, their market share that we had when they fired us. Um, and it's been a long, long journey. I can't tell you how many times I've eaten humble pie, gotten kicked in the teeth, gotten, you know, it was a, I could, that's, that could be a whole episode of a show in and of itself. Um, but I'm not sure I can relive all those details, but um, anyway, I was talking to this, this senior executive who works for that company, and he said, you know, we can clearly see, Dick, that we've made a wrong decision, um, and, and by placing so much of our business with your competitor and having you as our second source, it's obvious to us that you're bringing us more value. And so we need to shift our dollars and put our dollars uh, where, where we can see the real value is. And we haven't done that. Um, we're out of alignment. Um, and that sounds really simple, but when you've been working for 30 years to get someone to say that, um, that validation is critical. And I, you know, I, told, I told him that that maybe is more important than, than the, the, the sales you're going to, you know, that we're going to achieve or the, 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 you know, the checks you're going to send us. Because what you've said is we're on the right track. We're doing the right things. We're doing things that bring you uh, value that our competitors don't. Well, that's huge. Um, and, and so... Um, you know, that validation is really, it's not other people's opinions. Um, it's how do they support the fact that your vision is correct and that when you think you're doing something that people want, uh, that 
you're getting the votes with their business or whatever it is um, that assure you that yes, you are aligned with what they need and want. And of course, that's you know that's different than their opinion. I think. Sure. Thank you for clarifying that. And wow, thirty years and that's persistence, uh, perseverance, and integrity, and continuing to move forward even when you don't have that result. So right. in a world where we're on immediate gratification, you just proved how holding a vision can require 30 years of commitment. Yeah. And we, you know, we've asked ourselves, I mean, I've, in 30 years, I've done a lot of soul searching. Um, you know, should we change what we're doing? Where are we missing the boat? Or is there something? And, and of course, you know, you do find things, hey, this is not, this is not as good as it can be. Uh, this needs to be improved. So of course, there are many of those things when you reflect and honestly try to look at yourself um, and, and, and see where your vision can be uh, changed to bring more value. Um, but you, yeah, you, have to, you have to believe in it pretty fundamentally to keep going forward um, and hitting your head against the wall um, and that's where being honest with ourselves is, is really important as well. Absolutely. We're going to go on a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to wrap all of this up. So you're listening to the Kathleen Reeson show, pushing the boundaries of leadership here on Inspired Choices Network. Enjoy this quick break. We'll talk to you in just a second. Are you enjoying the conversations on the Kathleen Reeson show? Kathleen speaks both in person and virtually at companies, conferences, and retreats all over the world. Learn about booking Kathleen Reeson for your next event at KathleenReeson.com. That's KathleenReeson.com. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. To participate in the program, join our live studio audience in our chat room at InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Welcome back to The Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. We have just a few minutes left of this show with my friend and guest, Dick Davidson. Dick, before we get into any wrap up, if people are enjoying this conversation and they want to talk with you, how do they get a hold of you? Um, probably uh, through through LinkedIn would be fine. Um, I, my, uh, uh, I'm not sure if you've made public my email address or not, but I would I would welcome emails also. So it's in the show notes in case anybody wants it. You'd be happy to look that up for that. Uh, you can get in touch with Dick. So Dick, we've talked about a lot of wisdom here in the last 50 minutes of the show. And what I want to tie in, so the biggest aha moment of your career, if you think about, we have the two tips, but what's like the biggest, the biggest piece, the thing that you're most proud of? Wow. Um, well, there have been a lot of them, but um, and this is, I'll, I'll condense what's really a long story um, into, uh, into hopefully a short story that stays within the constraints of our time. Um, we had at, at one time, um, there was a concept called uh, reverse internet auctions. Um, and so we had our largest customer engage in a reverse internet auction. What happens is it's, it's like an, it was an online auction. And what they did was they put all of their business into different sort of groupings, all of the business that, uh, that 
that they were doing in our product category. They invited all of our competitors to participate in this auction. And um, the auction started with their current pricing. Um, and then the pricing went down from there. So you would just bid on these pieces of business. And we, um, so we were terrified when we found out, I think a month or six weeks in advance that this was happening. And I can tell you, I don't think I slept much in that, in that time. Um, it was one of the highest stress points of my entire life and career. I'm trying to figure out what to do. And um, what we decided to do is that we were not going to lower our prices. We were not going to engage in this auction um, and, and uh, because it wasn't a win-win and it wasn't going to be financially uh, sustainable for us. My boss at the time completely disagreed with that. Um, he, thought, he thought it was the stupidest thing he had ever heard that we were going to give our largest customer uh, our current prices as our offer and then not participate in going after you know, this, these prices that were spiraling downward. Um, but the more I thought about it, I, I, I realized we are not making an outsized profit on this. And if anything, I was embarrassed that we weren't making enough profit, really. It's a huge amount of business, huge volume. Um, and as we talked about it as a team, we, we just said, no, look, we are bringing these people tremendous value. They're getting an outstanding value from us today. It's just not... We, we, we really have nowhere to go um, and we're going to destroy this business and, and then we're, we're not going to help them if we go out of business Then it's going to cause a big disaster for everybody. Um, so I literally had to put my job on the line and I, I defied my boss. I said, we're going forward with this strategy. Uh, if it doesn't work, then I'll resign and uh, move on but that's how firmly I believe in it. Um, and I'm happy to say, well, the fact that I'm here kind of tells the end of the story, I guess, doesn't <laughs> it? Um, it worked and it, yeah. I, it worked better than I t anticipated because- Hey Dick, I'm gonna pause end. you for just a second. We have about five seconds left. And so what I hear is that it was an incredible experience. And I wanna thank everybody for being Thank you for listening to the Kathleen Reeson Show, pushing the boundaries of leadership. Kathleen Reeson will return next Monday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10 a.m. Central, 9 a.m. Mountain, and 8 a.m. Pacific on InspiredChoicesNetwork.com. Have a great week.